Good everyone. Um, I'm reading tonight from First Timothy, continuing our series. Take yourself, that's a good idea. <laughs> a little strange in as much as um, there's a little missing link within our previous sermon to the one that I'm preaching tonight. And Andrew was, with everything that's gone on, there's a little bit from verse 14 to the end of chapter 3. So I talked with Andrew this morning and said, I'm going to briefly mention it. Um, when I looked at it, I thought it would make a lovely sermon. Andrew said, well, forget about that, Kevin, because I've already done it. So somewhere in the background in his study is the missing link. <laughs> so for connectivity, I would like us to read from verse, chapter 3, verse 14, um, through to chapter 4, um, until um, verse 10. So although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and following, follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachers, teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seen as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. But everything God has created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truth of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. I have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales, Rather, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness is value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, and for this we labor and strive that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the saviour of all men, and especially of those who believe. Brief word of prayer. Dear Lord, we quieten our hearts tonight as we come before your word. Conscious, Lord, that you're in our midst. Conscious, Lord, that we want to hear your voice. We want to honor you with all that we say tonight and all that is heard by myself and the congregation. Lord, speak, Lord, in the stillness while we wait on thee. Hushed our hearts to listen in expectancy. So there's Paul, this connectivity in the lot of verses, um, 14 to 16, very briefly. Um, Paul explains something. He hopes to be there soon with Timothy. But if he doesn't get there, he's writing, so, writing these instructions so that if he is delayed... The instructions he's given, and this follows on from what we're looking at tonight, 
um, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. That's part of the theme of 1 Timothy. How? With all the teaching, with all the practicalities, with all the governance, with all the doctrine, with everything that's been said, it forms the basis of this truth. First, how Timothy is to minister out and how the people of God in hearing should be conducting themselves in the house of God. And I was going to use that text anyway, and I thought, well, how can I use that text as part of my sermon, just as a link, if Andrew's already preached it? But maybe the Lord knew he wasn't going to preach it. And the importance is because we are conducting ourselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. And the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth of who God is and who Jesus is and all the doctrines and practicalities of, of the Christian life, we are the foundation of that truth. And therefore, if the church isn't preaching truth, then there is um, a penalty to pay for the church and for the society that we are the people preaching to in this generation. And he says... I love this, that he said that, then he just, I love the way sometimes where Paul just burst out in exclamation and amazement at the wonder of God. He says, beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. And then he gives six reasons. You could see a bit like a curriculum vitae for Jesus Christ, if that makes sense. Or an overview of his work and his ministry, paid in a body, vindicated by the Spirit seen by angels, preached among the nations, was believed on the world, was taken up in glory. And I love that. I love the fact, and he do that later as, he, as we look tonight at a trustworthy scene that he finishes with. So dealing with all the practicalities and the dryness you might see of church life and governance and giving instruction, I love the fact that Paul, a bit like Sally did tonight, just says, hey, let's just praise God and let's exalt him and let's realize who he is and what he's done. So then, moving on to the sermon I meant to preach tonight. <laughs> um, so there he was, instructing Tim Timothy. Um, some theologians believe that maybe Timothy was getting a bit restless and wanted out. And basically, Paul's standing for the stay and deal with the matters of governance and teaching and other practicalities of church life. But I want us to think about this. If I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. So very much as he's given the practicalities of how we are to be managed and live, and that's and very much responsible of, of, of Timothy as the pastor. And think very much as we're looking at that subject of a new pastor coming in, that would be very much of the pastor's role along with the elders to make sure that we are conducting ourselves correctly and orderly according to God's words. So Paul begins, I've got three points tonight within the understanding of our reading. Um, the first one is about false teaching and doctrine. And we'll look at that in a little bit of detail. 
So a summary of that, Paul of verse 1 to 5. Paul begins this chapter with describing how the Spirit has revealed that in latter times there had been apostasy in which some would depart from the faith. This fallen away would come about as people gave heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons leading to their speaking in lies and hypocrisy and seeing their conscience as with a not iron. Examples of their false doctrine are given, forbidden to marry, commanding to abstain from certain foods. Regarding the latter, Paul makes it clear that all foods are acceptable if they are received with thanksgiving, for they are sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So our first thought tonight is this, looking at this um, apostasy and this falling away and this false doctrine, if you remember nothing from this sermon tonight, keep this one thought in, in your mind, and I've got it written down in the flyleaf from my Bible. Truth exists, only falsehood needs to be invented. You say amen to that? Truth exists, only falsehood needs to be invented. So the first point is the importance of being alert to falsehood. The challenge to the elders, challenge to pastor, Challenge to the past that are to come. They have to have their antennas alert to any falsehood that might be within the wider Christian community and that might seep into, um, into the church of God. And very often Satan comes in, not with size 10 clubbers on, but he can come in like those little grapes. Yeah, the little foxes that steal a vine. And so there needs to be an alertness to changes and so this prophecy that was mentioned was not of human conjecture but as of all true prophecy came from the spirit of God God has spoken Jesus spoke about this just a quick reminder remember on the Mount of Olives his disciples came to him he, he talked about the coming age and what will happen he says at that time many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of weakness. The love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. That's the word of Jesus. And the words of Paul in his farewell speech to the elders at Ephesus said, I know that after I, uh, I leave, in Acts chapter 20, verse 29, I know that after I leave, Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples for, for, for them. Now this false teaching that we're reading about tonight um, is what's called Gnosticism. Higher learning. Um, was one of the dangerous heresies of the first two centuries and that a dualism, basically what it was saying was all matter was evil and all spirit was good and therefore God was good but the earthly things were evil and the human body was evil um, which is matter contrasted with God or the spirit within us which is good but we know that's contrary to God's word because God's word says the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And the Bible says our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
So this Gnosticism, this I teaching was against the word of God. So basically what they were saying was salvation is escape from the body. Achieved by not by faith in Christ, but by special knowledge. And the Greek word for knowledge is gnos, hence Gnosticism. And that's not true that there's always somebody in life who knows better than somebody else. There's always somebody got higher knowledge or better teaching or knows something more. And very often, a simple error can lead off on a divergence. And this one did as well, because not only did they um, say that you need to, in one form, a form of asceticism, they needed to forbid marriage and certain foods. Um, to the other extreme, the pendulum swung, the other same to if matter... Um, was evil, um, God's law didn't really matter, and the other extreme was moving to licentiousness, and to the other extreme where you can eat even food given to idols, um, and you can indulge in sexual immorality. So there was two extremes, and you find the one extreme, the other extreme, the, the, the licentious one, Spoken of in the, in the book of Revelation about the Nickelodeons. Um, so this higher knowledge. And when I said a simple diversion from truth can lead off into a wide spasm, their um, understanding of that was that, well, Jesus couldn't possibly have came in the flesh if all flesh is evil. Therefore, they had a theory as well called Dorsism, which means the scene would seem to say that the divine Christ appeared to be like a man. And also that the man Jesus um, said that the divine Christ joined the man Jesus at baptism but left him before he died on the cross. Because God couldn't possibly allow Jesus to die, the Son of God, to die on a cross. And we read about um, the challenge to this um, evolving heresy in, in 1 John. Very briefly, I'm just going to say, in 1 John, he deals with this way. He says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone to the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. And you'll find a dear, won't you, that a lot of the cults, all go wrong in their understanding of who Jesus is, his deity, the Son of God, very God and very man. But the heresy not only advocated on one form asceticism, denying marriage and certain foods. In other words, folks, sex was out and McDonald's. Sorry. And on the other extreme, yeah, um, they were saying, um, you know what I mean? You can do what you like. You can eat food delivered by idols. Um, you can have sex as much as you want. In other words, the two extremes is there. So that command to abstain from certain foods, and that I want to just want to think about that for a moment because think of the ascetism grew, didn't it, through the centuries within the church. I've read a lot over this last year about in books I've been reading about Cuthbert. For example, Linnesform, who was very much into that. And you read of people who did that, 
hermitages and deny themselves uh, as, if, as if that was a form of holiness that would bring them closer to God. You might say, well, all that's in the past, Kevin. What's it got to do today? But really, think about it. Abstaining from food and abstaining from marriage, the assault on marriage within our society, um, the, the massive market that food is today in a, a rich Western country that we live in, and also we'll find, as we look to, even mention about the leisure industry, about um, um, Paul advising Timothy um, to think about physical um, exercise as opposed to spiritual exercise. But anyway, very quickly, just so to clarify something very quickly, when we look at this thing about food, abstaining from certain foods, what is, remember he says, um, these things are sanctified by God's word and prayer. So in other words, the truth of what we can eat and what we can do is in God's word. It tells us what's there. And this is what it says. Remember at the beginning, it says, then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. This will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the earth, everything has the breath of life in it. I give every green plant for food. And it was so. So originally you could say everyone was vegetarian. And then we read a change after the fall in the covenant with Noah. Then God blessed Noah and his son, said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything, but you must not eat meat that has light blood still in it. So meat and two veg. We move to vegetarian, to that. And basically, think about this, how big our agenda is for veganism in our, in our DNAs that we live in. We'd get the balance of it. It's not saying, and I don't believe it's saying, we'll look at this in more, more detail in a little bit as it comes on, that either or the kingdom of God is not about food and a drink, but it's about peace and righteousness in Jesus Christ. But it's strange when we look, when I look through and have looked a bit further at this, and we read in like the Council of Jerusalem where they had, were being challenged about um, Gentiles being circumcised, that the, the word that they give out to the believers was that they would not eat strangled meat and blood and avoid, avoid sexual immorality. And then I read on as I'm reading at the moment Acts of the Apostle, and I'm reading about. Um, Cornelius, and I'm reading about um, Peter going to visit him and giving him the gospel, and he sees a sheep coming down from heaven inside that was what? Um, four footed animals, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. And he said to Peter, What? What I have called clean, do not call impure. Eat and kill. So you think, Well, where does that leave us? Don't call anything um, impure. Now, the thing I think we move on to seeing in this is, is this. Don't call anything impure. So you think, is it okay to be a vegan? I would believe yes. 
Is it okay to eat meat? I believe yes. Um, if it's a challenge to us on this is, is that if we accept it with thanks, and it is something that challenged me as I read this, is even a simple thing like saying thanks for our meals is an act of worship. Have you ever thought about that? We might say it and we might not say it and we think, well, I want to challenge you again tonight. Does this word challenge me? Because it says this. But everything God has created is good and nothing is to be rejected if we receive with thanksgiving because it's consecrated by the word of God and prayer. And it says, God created to be saved with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Who are the ones who believe and know the truth? The Christian. And the example of given is our, our Lord Jesus said in Matthew 14, 9, as he took, um, took the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and two fish, and looking to have any gave thanks and brought the loaves. Um, and the idea, the idea there is, is that I believe that we too, um, Paul says, if I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So I believe, you know, you might think, well, I enjoy a balanced diet, right? Or you might say, I do like, I'm just a vegan, I decide to avoid meat. I believe either way, if we are acknowledging God, that all God gives us is good, and we acknowledge with prayer and thankfulness, then I believe um, that's fine. Because, final thought from this, freedom from human rules. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality is, is found in Christ. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules will have to do with things that are destined to perish with us, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humanity, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So what am I trying to say? Beware of the Christian legalist who, hey, you shouldn't be eating or drinking or you shouldn't be a vegan or you shouldn't be doing this or you shouldn't be doing that. But also as well, to be fair to Scripture as well, be aware of the sensitivity to weaker brothers and sisters in Christ that nothing we do Everything we do is in love and in faith to our brothers and sisters. So there's the first bit. The second point looking at is the second bit from 6 to 16, which says this. A quick summary. In the last half of this chapter, we find Paul instructing Timothy on how he can be a good minister of Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, by instructing the brethren in matters regarding sound doctrine. He will also be nourished himself if he does that, but he should also be careful to avoid foolish fables and rather ex himself, exercise himself to godliness, which is more value than enduring value than, than bodily exercise. 
And what's this here now? If you point these things out to the brothers, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus. It's important that whatever we do in the household of God is sanctioned by the word of God as revealed in Scripture. I'm sure we all say amen to that, don't we? And when I say that, what comes to your mind? Long, boring sermons, ice from the pulpits, or thank God for the full counsel of God being preached. And it doesn't have to be that way, that a preacher should be Maybe the preacher that's coming to us, these two men. We look at that, listen to their preaching. And preaching doesn't have to be ice from the pulpit. It can be made more interesting. Not meant to be interesting just for the sake of it, but a preacher would know how to bring illustrations in or what to say and how to say things in a way that makes a sermon interesting to hear. The trends to be avoided away from sound preaching to focus on worship only or watered down social get-togethers as opposed to the word of God being faithfully preached. So a, a leader of a church, a pastor of a church needs to be mindful of that like Timothy was. He was to preach and teach. He was to speak. He was to deal with difficult situations if he needed to. It needed to be done. He wasn't there to be popular. He was there to be faithful to God. And I read this scripture when I was preparing this sermon in Romans 16, verse 19, the second part. Paul says, But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. So Paul was to point it out. You need to point these things out. Whether he's teaching or he's preaching, he needs, he needs to refute false teaching, he needed to preach the doctrine of Christ. He needed to preach about Jesus, that he was God, that he was pre-existent with the Father, that he was a human being, he was sinless. He can forgive sinners only God can. He rose from the dead. He's the all-sufficient saviour of the world. He'd come again in judgment and create a new heaven and earth. I really enjoyed, Andrew, don't mind us saying it, I really enjoyed a full exposition of Revelation. Hallelujah, that led us into those difficult understanding, wasn't it? But glorifying Christ in what we were and what we ought to be. And these, preach, these truths need to be preached and received. Well, I've heard it all before, Kevin. I've been a Christian for 40 plus years. I have, and I've heard certain doctrines and teaching and preaching restated and preached and preached, but we shouldn't get tired of them. They need to be preached. They need to be restrained. There needs to be a, always central in the church of God, the word of God. Amen? Worship. I love worship. Do you know what delighted me this morning? I don't mind sharing it. I was talking to Emma and Sue, the new amongst us. And they love coming along. They love the worship. They said the, the spirit of God in this place, the, the, you know, really blesses them. And you know, I found that too. From the, from the very first day I came nearly 15 years ago. I love the worship. I love the way God's people lift their hearts. It's a, it's a blessing. But I'll tell you what, if God's word wasn't preached from this pulpit faithfully, I don't think I'd be so happy if it was just worship. If this church was, well, let's just have a good social get-together. No. 
All those things are important in themselves in the right place at the right time. So the danger of Paul of not following this instructions and advice, he was told to avoid godless myths and old wives' tales. Why does that say old wives' tales always? <laughs> Can I get old men's tales as well? What do you reckon? Is that equal opportunity? It's got a little bit airway there. It was to avoid Emenius and Alexander. Remember, they got shipwrapped in chapter 1. And he was to be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Now, a minister, somebody, a theologian from the previous series said this, what is a good, what makes a good minister of Jesus Christ? A minister of Jesus Christ is the one of his making, qualifying, calling, and sending, and who makes Christ the doctrines Respecting his person and offices, his grace, his righteousness and salvation, the subject of his ministry. Keep this in mind about the new pastor coming. The primary call of the pastor is not to entertain, not to amuse, not even help with practical things. It was to present biblical doctrine and to personally give, give heed to that doctrine himself in his learning, in his living, in his teaching and defending of the truth. Would we want that of a pastor in our church? We would, wouldn't we? We've got it now. We've had it in the future. And praise God, we'll have it in the days that lie ahead. So he needs to be those things. A defender of the truth, preaching sound doctrine, prepared to talk, want to warn maybe individually, but teaching and preaching was his main ministry. And then he says this, exercise yourself to godliness, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that is now, and of that which is to come. Exercise yourself to godliness. A bit like Andrew said this morning, we heard a sermon about Samuel, but there was, as David said as well, a message to us as well. Do we exercise ourselves to godliness? The importance of a, a daily spiritual workout. Work out your salvation with, spirit, with fear and trembling, says God's word. Now then, do you have a physical workout? <laughs> Some very fit men in this, and women in this church, like probably a lot fitter than me. <laughs> do I have a physical one, by the way? Well, believe it or not, no, you wouldn't want to see me first thing in the morning. But when I go into my living room, I do a five-minute wake up with my muscles. I really do. You can have a laugh at that if you like. <laughs> but praise God, I have a spiritual one as well. Not to my prayers, but the prayers of God. My habit for the last 40-odd years is to open God's word, to praise him, to pray, and to seek his mind and heart for that day. And that's not glorifying means said that that should be as Watchman Nee said, shouldn't it? The great Jane, the normal Christian life. And if you're not working out spiritually, but say, hey, I'm fit physically, there's something wrong. Get the balance around the other way. So I have a spiritual workout. I don't lift any weights, but sometimes during the day I will lift a coffee cup at Costa. And I'll go for a walk along the seafront. 
So I do keep in mind keeping my body fit as well. Finally, the last point, and I love this. Finally, after talking about the falsehood of the Gnostics and the teachings and telling them for the watch what he's doing and to preach and be sound in his doctrine and watch his own life and work it out and realising that the spiritual, working out the spiritual life is for this leaf life now and the life to come. We then come to this lovely saying, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Now we might disagree with some of the things I've said tonight. But he says this is worthy of full acceptance. I trust you will accept what I'm just about to say. Paul says it is why we labour and die because we have put our hope in the living God who is the saviour of all people and especially of those who believe. So in the middle of all this again, suddenly it comes out with one of these trustworthy sayings which is in this book. I think there's, is there, is there three in Johnny or more? I'm putting you on the spot. Andrew, how many trustworthy sayings is there in this book of Timothy? Frank. <laughs> I think it's three I think it's three <laughs> um, but he says this this is why we live and strive because we put our hope in the living God who is the saviour of all people and especially of those who believe now then we need the gospel truth don't we we're in a society in a government where there's Sleaze and we can't trust anybody. We hear things, we think, hey, what do we believe? And in the church of God, there is potentially false teachers and prophets around. There's people out there now, even in the modern church, who's putting falsehood about. And the, and the church leaders have got to be alert to these things. But praise God, we need to keep in, a picture in mind of the bigger picture, which is that we put our hope in the living God who is the saviour of all people, and especially of those who believe. So let's have a look at this very quickly. We put our hope, our hope in the living God. What has been the theme before Christmas at carol service and the theme for the children's talks? It's been about a sure hope, hasn't it? That was a lovely theme and a lovely thought, wasn't it? And we rejoice in that. And, and our living hope is that our faith is in Christ who has given us a living hope, a new birth through Christ. That's what 1 Peter 1.3.9 says. An inheritance kept in heaven for us will not fade, shielded by God's power and can the coming of the salvation that's right to be revealed. And we heard about the revelation of that, didn't we, through Andrew in Revelation. And when he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away and no longer any sea. And we saw the new heaven and the new earth and no more sorrow or sighing. Hallelujah. Is that your hope? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame but only lean on Jesus' name. I've got a hope. You might think, Kevin, you're a no-hoper. <laughs> no, no. I'm a hoper. I believe that I'm saved by God's grace. I believe I'm kept by God's power. I believe I'm sealed by God's spirit. And I believe that one day there'll be no more sin. There'll be no more sorrow, no more sighing. And then I'll be singing with my brothers and sisters 
in that new heaven and new earth to the glory and praise of my Saviour for eternity. Oh, isn't that a lovely hope to have? If you haven't got that hope and you need to look at Jesus, you need to look at that cross, you need to see him dying for your sin, you need to turn in faith and believe the gospel to the salvation of your soul. The living God. We're not, we're not um, trusting in a dead saviour, we're not trusting in the, the um, idols of this world. I love this word in Jeremiah chapter 10 where he says these words, thinking about the living God. He speaks about the idols. They all senseless and foolish. They are taught by worthless wooden idols. Hammered silver is brought from tarnish and gold from Euphrates. What the crotchmen and goldmen have made is then dressed in purple and silver, all made by skilled hand. But Jeremiah says, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal King. When he is angry, the earth trembles, the nations cannot endure his wrath. Tell them this. These gods who did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and under the heavens. But God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. We have a living God who neither slumbers or sleep in his work of bringing his people to himself and working out his purposes among the nations. Great men have come and gone. Muhammad is buried. His bones is there somewhere in Mecca. Buddha is dead. The false idols of Hinduism, Sikhism are mute and cannot achieve nothing. If I was to ask you tonight, who would you put in your top ten of men or women of history? Who would you put there? Would you put Churchill there? Would you put Gandhi there? Would you put Martin Luther King there? They're all gone. They're all dead. But we serve a living God. Up from the grave of your <laughs> Conquering death. We have a living God who is a saviour of all people and especially of those who believe. Nearly finished, folks. What does that mean? Who is the saviour of all people and especially of those who believe. Well, I believe this. You might disagree with us. From God's point of view, he did not have to save one person. But in his sovereign elective prerogative, because he is God, he decided to save some which are his church. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. A narrow path with few that be on it. I don't know who they are. God knows. And those who were saved receive his grace, his mercy and forgiveness. Where is boasting? Am I boasting tonight? No, I'm thankful that God saved me. And who is the saviour of all, especially of those who believe. But the saviour of all people there's an understanding what's called common grace, which means what? The sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. The indiscriminate kindness to all men through the abundant daily blessings of this earthly life. Received by the world, isn't it? They receive the blessings and the benefits of this life. They breathe, they get the sunshine, they live their lives, 
They enjoy the pleasures of this world for a season, but they do not enjoy the riches of grace and mercy and forgiveness for the last. And we don't know who they are, and our job is what? To say, well, we're okay. No, no, it's not. Our job is to reach out to everyone. Is that right? To every man, woman, boy and girl, and challenge them with the gospel. Challenge them that they might hear. I was reading something in the Christian Union book this week, and, I, and, I, and their statement of mission is what? Can anyone tell me what it is? The mission of the Christian Union? It's, and I like it, that every student has an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And should that be the mission of this church? That in our community, in our parish, you could say that everyone should have an opportunity to hear the gospel and be challenged because at the end of it, we share the words, we sow the seed, but only God can water, water it and quicken it and bring someone to faith. So, in conclusion, three things to take away. Truth exists, only falsehood needs to be invented. Leaders, never let your guard down. On the wider influences of the Christian community, and remember that sometimes it's the insidious fifth column within the Christian community that can cause more chaos than those who are coming in with their size 10s stating things which are obviously untrue. And secondly, ask yourself this question. Because Paul said it, I'm giving you all this written instruction so that you might know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. Am I, are you, conducting yourself aright according to God's word in his house, which is the foundation of truth, the pillar of, and the foundation of truth. And lastly, Paul gave us a trustworthy saying that is to be accepted, full acceptance. And I think it's good that we get sayings like this and we maybe read them and learn them by heart. That he is... Um, the Saviour, he is the living God. We put our hope, our hope is in the living God who is the Saviour of all men, especially of those who believe. And we should be thankful, shouldn't we? I'm sure you are, every day, because by grace we've been saved through faith, through Christ. Amen? Now you might not agree with everything I've said, but praise God, you can agree with the last statement of who he is and what he's doing. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word tonight. We pray, Lord, that you'll speak to us whichever way you choose. Lord, you'll be glorified through um, your word and especially, Lord, through our understanding that we serve a living God and that we saved by your grace. So to him who was able to keep us from stumbling and to present us before his glorious presence with our fault and with great joy, to the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority 
Through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Thank you.